Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. All right, so we have been doing our summer series on the Holy Spirit, and that essentially is we just take a topic that has a little bit more controversy and maybe some teeth to it, and we just spread out some time to be able to talk candidly about it. And this is one of those things we did eight weeks on the Holy Spirit, and we wanted to end with some Q&A. And so today is going to be a little bit different in that it's going to be a little more conversational. Uh, but let me, let me tell you what, what's going to happen. We had people email in questions over the last couple weeks, and we tried to combine them as best as we could. There was a lot of overlap. And then I'll, I asked the elders here at East to come up here with me. And, and here's the thing about this. Um, there's a couple reasons for this. One is because I want you to know who they are. Uh, I want you to be able to see them and know that they're working to care for you and pastor you. And uh, and I want you to hear from them. But I also want you to see diversity. So there's a little bit of diversity around our beliefs on this topic. And there's some diversity around how we communicate it. And that's okay. All right. Uh, I'm going to say things differently than Kevin or Matt and they differently than me. And so I, I want you to get kind of a full bodied understanding and expression of that. And so I asked Brother Tony to um, MC for us. And so he is going to ask the questions and then we're going to tackle them and uh, try to work our way down through them. If you have questions that are begotten by the questions that are being asked, I'm asking you to hang on to them till afterward. Or you can text this number. Maybe. That number right there. And that person, that unnamed person, will be editing uh, any craziness that comes through. All right? I'm just kidding. So text that number if you have questions. And if we're not way over time, we'll try to answer those as well. So I'm going to pray. And we'll get to it, and hopefully this will be enjoyable and encouraging. It was fun at West, so um, we'll give it a shot. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your grace to us. We thank you for Jesus who loves us, who died for us, who saves us, who has risen again and seated at your right hand. We thank you, God, for the Holy Spirit who empowers, who guides, who teaches, who comforts, who sanctifies God, who builds up the body. And God, we want everything that you have for us. And so help us as we talk through these things to do so wisely. I pray that it would be helpful and encouraging. I pray, God, that questions would be answered, that new questions would be spawned, and that you would just continue to be at work in this body, that we would be filled and at work uh, with and in your spirit. And we'll thank you for all of it. In Jesus' good name. Amen. Yeah. Here for MC Toad. Yeah. Hello, hello. <laughs> so I got to stand up. You guys have to sit down. Is that how this works? All right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Great talk. Yeah. That was good. Thank you. Okay. So um, first question, and I'm going to direct these towards all of you, and then you guys can fight over who wants to answer it. The first question is, what are the gifts of the Spirit? Okay, I'll take this one. Are you good? Good, good. All right. Okay, so I'm going to give you, if you have, uh, and that one spotlight is like right in my eyeball. Uh, If you have a bulletin on the back, there's a space for you to take notes. I'm going to try to, this is probably the longest answer. And so give me a little bit of space to work down through. I'm going to give you some references. And then I'm going to give you all of the gifts and a real quick story or statement around what they are to kind of help you a little bit further. So in regards to what are all the gifts, three references that I want you to jot down. First Corinthians 12, 8 through 10 and 28. Next is Romans 12, 6 through 8. And the next is First Corinthians 7, 7. OK, so I told you last week that most say that they're between nine and twenty three. I landed on 19, and so I'm going to give you that list as quickly as I can. Fair enough, MC Tony? Fair enough. I'll cut you off. I think you're starting to Fair enough. get long-winded. All right. All right. So number one is the gift of wisdom. Sometimes this is word of wisdom. This is just simply the wisdom to deal with a specific circumstance. 
So I had a mentor. His name was Dick Bradley. He was the kind of guy that you could bring him the, the craziest ball of mess. And he just could see through it quickly and say this, 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 and done. A gift of wisdom. Second is the, the gift of knowledge. This isn't the ability to know a lot. This is the ability to know things that you wouldn't have otherwise known. So I've told you stories of times when I've had a dream and in that I got information, I believe, from God that helped me in counseling or something like that. That would be the gift of knowledge. Sometimes this is a word of knowledge. You, you say, hey, I want you to know, and you say something and the person doesn't know how you would have known that. That, that would be an example of that. Gift of faith. Now, again, remember that in this gift, all of the gifts, we have Christian assignments for many of them. So this isn't, you don't have to have faith if you don't have this gift. But this is kind of a supernatural empowering, a supernatural quantity. A guy that I would say has the gift of faith is a guy by the name of Rick Warren. If you've heard of Rick Warren, he wrote Purpose Driven Life. He's a guy that's like, I feel like God wants me to tackle AIDS. All of it, you know. And he just gets to work and God, he just has an inordinate amount of faith and, and God blesses it. The gift of healing, this is not, this is not what you often see connected to it. This is often through the mechanism of prayer. But I do think that God heals people. He tells us to, through the pouring on of oil, oil and the laying on of hands, that people can be healed. This is a actual authenticated healing. This isn't an event where someone gets worked up and we don't follow up with them. This is we pray over somebody and God heals them. The doctors have no idea how, that kind of thing. Next is the gift of teaching. There's two parts to this. It's the ability to receive from God and the ability to give what God has said. And so if you think that you might have the gift of teaching, but you hate to study the Bible, you don't have the gift of teaching. Okay? Um, because it's two parts. It's to take this big book and to hear from God through it and be able to boldly and clearly communicate what God has said. Next is service, sometimes called helps. This is uh, a perfect example of this is, is Stan Wilson. He's our deacon of... Uh, facilities. He is a guy who just naturally has a lot of energy for serving. He found out that I had a dead tree. He calls me the other day. He's like, hey, you want me to come over and cut that down? Uh, yes, I do. Thank you. That'd be awesome. Right. And, and, and he's not working that up. It's not like he put a reminder in his phone. You know, he uh, just has that gift. And a lot of you have that gift. Seven is discernment. Similar to wisdom and knowledge, but I think the discernment is more kind of in the middle of something. So you're having a conversation and you discern this doesn't fit or you discern this spirit or this heart or this value. Um, something that's helpful, especially if you have kind of counseling gifts. Next is administration, the ability to bring structure, uh, uh, support, detail. Next is evangelism. Again, this is one of those ones we're all called to, but there are certain people, they have an a extraordinary passion for the lost and an ability to communicate in such a way that God uses to save people. So that's evangelism. Next is giving. All to give. Some are exceptionally gifted in giving. And let me do say this. Am I running out of time? No, I think you're good. I'm good so far. Okay. Yeah. I'm getting nervous. You're staring at me. Um, that's what, that's what you're supposed to feel. Is that what I... Okay. Um, I, I, I've had this conversation a couple times with, with some of you that are especially entrepreneurial. And my definition of an entrepreneur isn't just somebody who can start stuff. It's somebody that their view of money is that they can make and lose money and not freak out about either. Okay? And so what I've found about entrepreneurs is they're the kind of guys that they can... They make a ton of money and then something happens to the economy and the economy crashes and they're like, I'll just make some more. And I think that those people are particularly placed to be gifted in generosity. Because if you're not tethered to money, if you don't struggle with the value of money, you can easily give it away. So if you're an entrepreneur in here, you fancy yourself an entrepreneur, I really want to challenge you around this gift that if you have the capability of making money easily... I think that God gave you that talent and that gift so that you could exercise the gift of giving. Uh, I think that that's an important, an important thing. Uh, next is leadership. It's kind of self-explanatory, but let's just say this, that if you fancy yourself a leader but no one wants to follow you, you aren't. Okay? 
<laughs> Next is mercy, which based on that last statement, you can see not so much for me. Um, this is uh, some of our uh, leaders in Celebrate Recovery who are able to see past the struggle, past the brokenness and just be exceptionally compassionate, have the gift of mercy, prophecy, tongues and interpretation of tongues. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. So I'm going to pass on those. We'll come back and talk in significant detail. Gift of marriage, 1 Corinthians 7, 7. And let me say it this way, because uh, we've got some pushback at West. If you want to have a godly marriage, it needs to be a spirit-filled marriage. No one would argue with me about that. But I don't think that we often think about our spouse being a gift from God and, and us having the gift of being married. And that's kind of in juxtaposition to the gift of singleness, or more specifically, the gift of celibacy. There are some of you that you just don't have the physical need, and that's a supernatural thing, okay? <laughs> um, the Bible says, for some of you, don't, don't burn, get married. And so uh, there are some of us who are gifted in singleness, and Paul actually, the Apostle Paul had this gift. And he said, I wish that a lot more of you did, because then you'd be able to focus on ministry, but it's a spiritual gift. Then two more uh apostolic gifting there's the office and there's the gift uh here we would say that the office is no more because some of the requirements of it one at one was that you had seen the risen savior you had seen jesus physically so most of you are not of that age right um but i do think that there's apostolic gifting so an example of that would be we're a part of converge that's the network we're a part of 126 churches the executive minister, his name is Dr. Perry. He's been here before. He has an apostolic gifting, the ability to provide leadership to a very broad organization, to be a leader of leaders. I would say that's an apostolic gifting. And then lastly, and then I'm done, is shepherd or pastor. And this is somebody who just has a heart for people. They want to lead people. They want to disciple people. They want to mentor people. We're all called to do that, but there are certain people who are exceptionally gifted and capable because they have this spiritual gift. All right. Thanks for that short answer. Just kidding. Good. I think it's good that my own two cents as the moderator here, it's good to go through the full list as we're getting into it. So hopefully you had some time to um, take some notes. I believe it's being recorded. It's being recorded. So if, if you're taking notes and you're struggling and you want, you can't hear the next answer, um, just know that get what you can, but then maybe this will be a good one to go back and listen to again. Okay? Next question. Can we stifle the gifts of the Spirit? Can we stifle the gifts of the Spirit? Uh, first, I want to say I've got a couple of dead trees in my yard. <laughs> Quite a few. So I don't want to stifle anybody's gifts. Okay? Right. Putting that out there. Is that your answer? Yeah. That's it. Um, I'm done. No, I... <laughs> Uh, just to give you a little bit of context, and you really need to be vigilant about cutting me off, okay? So, all right. Um, I come, f I'm, uh, come from the, I was an, an old hippie that got saved into the Jesus movement. If Don't be know. shocked. <laughs> all right? Everyone calm down. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, into the Jesus movement, uh, what some theologians consider the last great move of the Holy Spirit, the last great revival. doesn't mean that they don't continue, but um, the last sort of visible great revival. Lots of misunderstanding and weirdness around the Holy Spirit in that movement. A lot of great things happened around the Spirit in that movement. Um, I sort of want to answer the next two questions, uh, cover a little bit. Um, it's very definitely you can stifle the gifts of the spirit. I think a lot of folks that are in my shoes that came out of that movement that are still walking with Jesus, because there's a lot that are not, um, maybe reacted against some of the abuses of that. And they don't really want to see any uh, of these uh, gifts of the spirit manifested. Or if they do, they get freaked out and leave when, in fact, um, they're still alive and well. I'm, uh, if you remember the categories that Tim 
talked about earlier uh, in the series. He talked about cessationists, continuationists, charismatics, and Pentecostals. I'm somewhere in between continuing and being charismatic about it. Okay, Tim's more just continuing. Um, (laughs) So um, we mean just just continuing. I'm kind of, you know, I've kind of got my antenna up for, uh, you know, listening for stuff like that. But it always needs to be weighed against, uh, against what the word says, always. And I think that that's a component that we really missed. Anyway, getting back to the question. Um, yes, you can stifle the gifts. Yes, it can be damaging. The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet, as, as the scripture says. Uh, Jesus does not take away your will. The Holy Spirit does not take away your will. You don't come under some kind of spell and go into a trance. Um, it's a very natural thing when the Holy Spirit is flowing through you. Um, and on the question of if, is it a sin not to use your spiritual gifts, um, depends on the circumstances. Uh, my wife and I were talking about this on the way in here, and we've seen uh, some terrible abuse of power in the name of Jesus. And uh, folks who were extraordinarily gifted, evangelists especially, who abused that power for personal gain. And I think we can probably all think of a picture of that in our heads. Um, Does that negate the gift of evangelism? Absolutely not. Is the devil trying to pull the teeth of that gift? Maybe by by all of these abuses. Um, uh, Something that my wife and I seem to have an extraordinary gift in is the gift of knowledge where the Lord will meet someone, have a little chat with them, walk away, go on, and, and know exactly what they're supposed to do with their life. Now, does that mean that we should go tell them that? Most of the time, not. Um, it's usually not received well, first of all. Second of all, they don't necessarily um, see what we see. Now, does that mean that we are stifling our gift by not telling them? No, the Lord told us that for a reason, and it's usually that we need to pray hard for those folks so that they can see what we see, what the Lord has shown us. So, was I off at all? (laughs) I think I would say to the question, is it a sin then to not use your spiritual gifts? Are you saying sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't? Yes. Do you want to? Yes, I am saying that. <laughs> okay. I, I have seen, I have seen spiritual gifts uh, abused in a very terrible way. They were gifts from God, but I, I kind of think of them like like a hammer or a saw. That's not what the Holy Spirit is, but some of the gifts—they're tools. You can do a lot of damage with hammers and saws. You can build beautiful things with hammers and saws. I don't know if that's helpful. Yeah. I think one of the big things when, for instance, let, let's say you think you're uh, gifted in administration or something. I think if you're if you are going to decide to not use that gift for some reason, go and talk to somebody about it. Um, I think we can oftentimes say we we can come up with excuses not to use our gifts, and it's really just a, a way of being lazy. Right. We can talk ourselves into I can talk myself into all kinds of reasons why I shouldn't mow the lawn this afternoon, the same way as why I shouldn't use my spiritual gifts. Right. Um, Using our gifts oftentimes leads to work and sometimes we don't want to do that work. I think I think you need to be honest with yourself, though, and realize that that we can deceive ourselves regularly. And if you think you're gifted in such a way, ask other people if they think you're gifted in such a way. And if you. If you think now's not the right time to use that gift, meaning maybe you need to develop it more or whatnot, talk with other people about that too. And if they say no, get after it, then you should get after it. And if they say you need to develop that, then listen to that too. So um, I think this is why it's important to be in community. Um, We should be talking about these things openly and not just making these decisions on our own. That's good. Let me, can I... Yeah, well, because I think the next one leads into it. Go ahead. The, okay. Well, let, real quick. Okay. To the, to the stifle, I, I don't want to communicate to you. I think that if God gives you a gift, you have that gift. 
God's, God's not holding gifts like, oh, I hope they'll take it. If God gives you a gift, you have it. I think the language that the Bible uses is that you can quench the spirit and you can grieve the spirit. Um, and the ways that we do that is often around character and attitude and practice. And so for some of you, you have a gift that you're not using because you're not walking with God. And in that sense, you're quenching the fullness that the spirit could have in your life and the power that God could exhibit through your life. And in that in that way, you are. But there is no like God wants to give you a gift and he can't because you don't want it. I think the other part to the is it sin to not use? I think it can be sin to use. Like if you have a gift and you think that it's going to give you a certain amount of success or notoriety or whatever, and that's your motivation to use it, that's sinful, right? I think that what we have to acknowledge is what is the purpose for spiritual gifts. It's for the building up of the body. It's a it's a work of selfless service for others. And in that definition, all kinds of motivation comes up and all kinds of values can be exposed that can either be sinful or holy. And so we want you to be working in your gifts, growing in character, exhibiting the fruit of the spirit and using those gifts as a selfless way, not for, hey, look at me, look how awesome I am, but to build up others. And I would say if you are using it for wrong purposes or know you have it and don't want to serve, I think that is sinful. I mean, I, I want to be more more clear about it. I think to have know you have a gift and to refuse to use it to serve the body, I think that's self-serving and sinful. I think that the church, you were given it for a God-given purpose. The church needs it. You know the church needs it to not use it or withhold it for whatever your reason is. Um, I think it's sin. Okay. Um, just uh, what... What time do we typically get done? I just want to make sure we are keeping an eye on time. We got uh, about 25 minutes. Okay, sounds good. Um, okay, so next question. <clears throat> is there a difference between natural talent and spiritual gifts? Is there a difference between natural talent and spiritual gifts? Who wants to tackle that? I'll go first. <laughs> um, yes, <clears throat> there is. Do you want to, I will give you permission to elaborate a thank little you, bit on thank that you. if you like. All right. So I think it's two. I think one, you're born with natural talents and you can develop them. So let's, let's think of LeBron James since I can now acknowledge that he exists. All right. <laughs> LeBron James was born with certain gifts and talents and he can develop them. He can work on his mid-range jumper, which I hope he does this off season, right? Um, he, he can develop those and he can he can capitalize on and extend that talent and that skill. Spiritual gifts you're given when you are spiritually born again, when God saves you and baptizes you into the body. We saw that in first Corinthians chapter 12. I believe that you get those in completed form. And so let me let me say it this way. I think that you can develop skills and talents around your gifts. So let's take the gift of teaching. If you get the gift of teaching, and on a one out of ten, you're a six. I think you can be a fantastic six by working on stage presence and clarity and, and you know, tones and influx and all that kind of deal. But I don't think you're going to be a nine. I think you get a completed version, and you work in terms of character and filling of the Spirit to maximize the gift that God has given you. But I don't think you come, you, you start at a four, and next thing you know, you're a ten. I think that you have God-given gifts by His grace and through His sovereignty. Okay. you want to add? Um, yeah, just a thought that occurs to me that ties back into the previous two questions again. Uh, natural abilities, um, I think, I've, I've tended to see them sort of clustered around gifts or... Folks with certain gifts also happen to have certain natural abilities, which I think is a divine thing. In my own personal experience, I know that uh, my natural abilities uh, tend to be a two-edged sword. So maybe I can communicate well. Maybe I can. Maybe I'm good at helping people resolve conflict. That also makes me really good at manipulating people. And I have to be really careful that I don't do that, even in the name of good. 
you know. Um, so, uh, even e- even though I, I'm very positive, uh, this is a strange way to say this, positive about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, um, I, I tend to be cautious about about their exercise in some scenarios, and especially if you're not part of a community or answerable to anyone, if you're not accountable. That's where I personally saw basically all of the abuses take place. So that just sounds like to say just that. a continuationist to me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyone else have anything to add on that? Move on to the next one. Okay, so what was that? Okay. <laughs> you use Aaron Rodgers for as an example. Okay. What is the blasphemy of the spirit? What is the blasphemy of the spirit? Who wants to tackle this one? I think there's I think, I think Matt is using his gift to manipulate, to manipulate right now, actually. So I, I think there's go, two. Go ahead. Yeah. I think there's two. I think in the gospels you see the Pharisees accused Jesus of getting his power to do miraculous works through, they, they call it Beelzebub, but let's just call it demonic forces. And in so doing, they blaspheme the Holy Spirit. They say, that's not the Holy Spirit, it's demonic forces. So I think that's the specific. I think the general is to understand that the Holy Spirit is seeking to draw all people to Jesus. And I think that when we, this is also called the unpardonable sin, I think that when we stand before God, there's one sin that God will not forgive. And what is that? The rejection of Jesus. And the way that we are offered Jesus is through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so to blaspheme the Holy Spirit is to reject that work and in so doing reject Jesus. And that's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, the unpardonable sin that uh, I think is kind of this general application. So, two. Sounds good, Matt. Did you have <coughs> No? You good on that? That's my answer. That was your answer, too? Okay. Um, okay, so here's a, another, another next question. What happens to our spiritual gifts when Jesus comes back? So this is a multi-question. What happens to our spiritual gifts when Jesus comes back? Yeah, except he never takes the mic. Um, okay. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13. It says that, it says that they cease. Um, that only faith, hope, and love remain, and the greatest of these is love. Um, I don't know how much I dare to elaborate on that, but it, it's, it seems obvious to me that many of the gifts of the Holy Spirit are are here to empower us in this life, in this place, in this time. They're to empower us to help others to find Jesus. Um, And when everyone who is going to find Jesus has found Jesus, and when we are no longer living here, why are they needed anymore? Yeah, I think you just go back to... Oh, you're going to say something? I was just going to say, Tim mentioned earlier that the purpose of the gifts is to build up the body, right? So when Jesus comes back, the body has been built, right? And Jesus comes back. No, I mean, I think the way you answer the question is to ask what are the gifts for? And were the gifts in place before? Like, do you see the same functioning of spiritual gifts pre-Jesus? And the answer is no. You don't. So Jesus comes. He says, I'm going to send the Spirit. He's going to point to me while, he's, while I'm gone. And then when he comes back, I think the work has been accomplished and those gifts are, being, are no longer necessary. And when we're trying to point people to Jesus, we're not doing it through gifts. We're saying, he's right there. We're literally pointing to him. Okay, so the, these next two are kind of kind of a one-two punch. So the next two are, what is tongues in the Bible and what is prophecy in the Bible? And you'd mentioned you were going to camp out on that a little bit, so um, take it away. Well, if you guys want to 
get us started and then I can. Are you good? Yeah. Uh, tongues, of course, is, is one of the uh, more controversial gifts of the Spirit, which is interesting because it's, if they can be ranked in an order of significance, I'd put, put it somewhere on the bottom. But um, I see, uh, scripturally, I see two ways that they are manifested. One is when the speaker speaks and they don't understand the language they're speaking, but someone who's listening does. Uh, and that happens in the Acts of the Apostles. There are also supposedly several uh, contemporary instances of that occurring. And I don't, I don't believe that God is limited, and I won't say he won't do that. I've never been there when it happened. Um, and the other one is for personal edification, for a person who has got so much pain and turmoil spiritually, sometimes they don't even know why, that to pray in tongues is just an incredible release and an incredibly intimate experience with God. It's a way to pray when you don't know how to pray. It's a personal edification. So that's what I have to say about that. Uh, do you have anything on the piece of prophecy, or do you want to handle these one at a time? The same question. The first question was, what is tongues in the Bible? The second question is, what is prophecy in the Bible? So you hit on, on, on the prophecy. Let's just handle the tongues piece first. Do you have anything, Kevin? Uh, not much, other than um, I, I personally have never seen the, the tongues um, manifest in a way that, that I would consider uh, done well or handled well. Um, but, but I've certainly I've heard lots of people that I trust um, that have seen, seen this take place and the spirit manifests itself in that way. So I, I certainly um, I don't think this is uh, so I would be a continuationist in this as well. But um, I just want to say I haven't personally seen it. And just to kind of piggyback off what Matt said, when, when I have heard stories of the spirit manifesting in this way um, from, like I said, people I trust, the vast majority of those experiences have been more the personal thing Matt, Matt mentioned in that um, it was either an individual by themselves in a moment of prayer where, where they ended up um, speaking in tongues. That, that's what I've heard of more often than more of a big group setting. Question yeah, yeah. And we'll come back to the second. So, so I think it's important to distinguish. And Matt did this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna piggyback on the second. He said the first is the speaker is using a language that they don't know, but somebody in the audience does. And I think you see that in Acts too. The other would be what commonly gets referred to as a private prayer language, and this is a a use of words that is unknown to the speaker, but builds them up. Now, this is where it gets a little bit, I think this is where the controversy is and and how it gets used. And so we go to God's word. And at the end of 1 Corinthians 13 and into 1 Corinthians 14, Paul is speaking to a church at Corinth who is exercising the gift of tongues, specifically in the gathering. And he talks to them about how to order that in the gathering. And here's what he says. He says that whenever... Somebody is speaking in tongues that it's for them. And whenever someone's speaking in prophecy, it's for for others. And so he lays out this understanding that if I have the gift of tongues and I'm using it in the gathering, which is what this is, that I should not do that unless who is present. An interpreter. Yeah. And he actually says to us, if you have the gift and if there's an interpreter present, then only two or three should be doing that. And so. I, I, I want to be as respectful as I can, and I know there's people from coming from different tribes and all of that kind of thing, and glad for you and love you. But this idea of ready, set, speak in tongues, and we all start speaking in tongues, 1 Corinthians 14 says don't do that, because it doesn't build up the body. And he actually says that it's similar to someone standing up front and just blowing into a horn. And so it's like me grabbing a mic and just going... You know what I mean? That's what it is. 
And if you can't if if you can't say, yes, I know what you mean, then Paul says that it's not profitable for us to do that. And so in terms of exercising your gift, we don't have a space in this gathering because we would see that Paul isn't affirming a general kind of everyone starts speaking in tongues. He's actually saying, do not do that. He's saying there are times where it's used for this way and there are times where it's used particularly in prayer And unless there's an interpreter, you don't want to be utilizing tongues because it's not for the blessing of the body if nobody can understand what you're saying. And so we're not saying it's just gibberish. Don't do it. We are saying the point is to get from God what's being said. And if there's not a mechanism for that to occur, it should not occur in the corporate gathering. That's an important thing, I think. Okay, do you want to go into the second piece? Yeah, prophecy. What is prophecy in the Bible? Yeah, so uh, two parts to this as well. In the Old Testament, you have the, yea, hath God, you know, thus saith the Lord kind of deal. And so you have guys like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, who their speaking is authoritative and without error. And in fact, there are times where God says, if somebody shows up and says, God told me to tell you, uh, and it doesn't come to pass. He tells the people what to do. If if a prophet speaks in error and he says, I want you to stone and burn them. OK, now, when you come to the New Testament, Paul says, if a prof- don't despise prophecy, but test the spirit of it. And so if Paul's telling us to test a prophetic word, we know that it's different because in the Old Testament, there would have been an assumption that the word was accurate because of the way that it was being utilized and the office through which it was being utilized. And so I want to read you a definition that comes from a guy by the name of Wayne Grudem. I think it's a great definition, and then we'll kind of go from there. And this, we're going to spend the rest of the time outside of the text and questions, just in how do we do this as a, as a body. And I'm going to try to give you some real practical ways, and these guys are going to hop in on that as well. So here's the definition. For today... It's a spirit-prompted and sustained utterance that does not carry intrinsic divine authority and may be mixed with error. Okay, I'll do that one more time. It's a spirit-prompted and sustained utterance that does not carry intrinsic divine authority and may be mixed with error. In 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 3, it gives us three reasons for a prophetic word. Upbuilding, encouraging, and comforting. So that's in... in comparison to in the Old Testament when Isaiah shows up and says, yo, God's going to judge you and send you to Babylon. That's not upbuilding, encouraging or comforting. You come to the New Testament and you have these words that are given that are to be tested that do not carry divine or God given authority and can be mixed with error. But they are always for the purpose of upbuilding, always for the purpose of encouraging and always for the purpose of. Of comforting. So here's here's how how this could work, okay? Because we are a church that believes that God is still speaking and that He isn't only speaking through preaching and teaching. And so what are some mechanisms that we can kind of put in place, not only in regards to tongues, but in regards to prophecy? I think that if you're somebody who feels like you have a prophetic gift, the thing that you need to realize is that Uh, God tells you to handle that with an incredible amount of humility. And so there is no walking up to somebody and saying, God told me to tell you that that is not how this should be handled, because if it, it does not carry divine authority and could be mixed with error. And I say to Kevin, God told me to tell you I am declaring an authoritative statement over him. So we should not do that. Number one. Number two, if you think you got a word, I would say that you need to take God's word and you need to test that word according to Scripture, number one. Number two, I think that you should test that word in community before you give it. And so if you have a word for me, I think that you should go to your version of Kevin and say, Kevin, I feel like God may have given me a word for Tim. I've tested it according to Scripture and I think that it holds up. Do you? And if he says yes, then I would encourage you to write it down, because I think this is kind of the final once it's on paper and you can look at it. And if all of those things are verified, then I think that you should approach the person that the word is for. And you should say something like this. 
I want to be completely clear with you that I was praying for you the other day and I feel like God may have given me a word for you. I have tested that word. I have been accountable with that word and I'm presenting it to you for your testing. And I trust that you'll do so. What that does is it it doesn't say this is true. You better do it. It exhibits humility. It exhibits maturity and it communicates that it's not a done deal when you give it to me, that I have work to do. Right. If you give me a word that I should take it to God's word, that I should take it to my community, that I should pray over it, that I should test that spirit. Same thing is true if you feel like you have a word for the body. Okay. Some of you, you feel like there are things that should or should not be happening at Damascus Road. And we want to honor those things. So if you feel like you have a word for the body, some churches, they'll put a mic in the middle of the room. And if you just get a word, you can jump up and you can say that. And and I'm not I'm not dissing that. I'm not dogging that. I don't have any issue with that. Okay. here's the reason that we don't do it. Number one, because of where just our body is. We have a lot of people who are coming here for the very first time and we don't know them, right? And we don't have a mechanism in place to kind of mute them if they grab the mic. And Paul speaks to that in 1 Corinthians to be to be clear on who's giving the word. Um, also, because we don't want to centralize and emphasize something that could be mixed with error when we have something that isn't mixed with error. So we want we want to emphasize God's word, but we do want to operate in the belief that God is speaking and that God doesn't just speak through Tim, of course. And so here's what I'd encourage you if you feel like you have a word. Number one, I'd encourage you to test it according to scripture, to test it in prayer, to test it in community, to write it down and to give it to one of the elders. And here's what's going to happen if you do that. We're going to test it according to the word, test it in community test it in prayer, and then it's going to show up in one of a handful of ways. It might show up in a teaching. This word was given to our body, and I'm commending and affirming and giving it back to you. It might show up in some kind of practice. So we're doing this because we feel like God has called us to do it. It might show up that you get a call as the giver of the word. Thank you for giving that word. We were encouraged by it. It was a blessing. Thank you for being bold with it. Or what would be the fourth It's a no. Right. And we would still call you and we would still want to work with you and talk with you and have it be an encouragement for all involved. But that's that's how we would ask you to operate in that gift. And we'd want you to have a lot of freedom to do that. We'd ask you to pray for it, pray over it, test it, test it in community, write it down, give it to the elders. And then we will, as I think biblically we're supposed to um, labor over that, pray over that, test that. And see if it's something that God has for this body. Uh, just a, a little bit of a footnote. Um, I, I would ask you a, a question. What do you, as far as content, like, what do you think prophecy is? And I think that a lot of folks uh, think that it's words about the future. Uh, words about what you're supposed to do or what's supposed to happen or what's going to happen. And um, it's been, once again, it's been my experience. (laughs) Um, And also I believe it's scripturally backed that about 90% of it has nothing to do with about what's in the future. It has, it has to do with encouraging you now in your present circumstances or encouraging the body now in their present circumstances. It's not predictive. It's not spooky. It's almost like God coming up to you and saying, you know, you're doing really well, and I just wanted to tell you that. So. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, just just to add a quick thing onto what Matt said, I, I think I've also heard of examples where when the word is given, it honestly makes no sense at the time, and it's not till a future point where it even makes sense to the receiver that they can be like, oh, now that makes sense, and that's now encouraging to me. So... Not only is it not not necessarily predictive of the future, but um, it 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 can provide encouragement in the future that may not even make sense at the current moment. Yeah, that makes sense. And and do let me say this about about all, all of these issues. All right, for some of you, the fact that we're even providing a mechanism for the gift of prophecy 
and the gift of tongues to be exercised freaks you out. And, uh, and, and I just want to say, man, we're, th- we're thrilled that you're here. And we're, we're doing our best to order this church as we understand God lays out in Scripture. And so we're asking for grace and freedom and conversation around that. Now, for some of you, we're not going anywhere near far enough. And I can appreciate that. Uh, I hope that you'll give us the freedom to, with what we know of the body at this point, and with the commitment that if we feel like God's leading us otherwise, we may change that type of structure. But this is based on where the body is, why we don't have mics in the aisles, why we don't have a buzzer in the back, why we... But we want to provide space for that gift to be exercised. And please hear me. If you think you have that gift, we want you to feel free to use it. But we're asking all of the gifts to be in the heart and posture of humility and the ability to be pastored well around those gifts. Right. This isn't I have this gift and you can't tell me anything. This is I think God gave it to me. I think it's for the body. And so I'm offering it humbly. And I'm asking you to walk with me through it. So I know we got a lot of diversity. I'm just asking for grace and for uh, humility as we as we seek to kind of step into what we think the Holy Spirit has for us. Around diversity, um, it's a wonderful thing. And I uh, I think back to uh, when I was in uh, whatever you call it, full time Christian service. <laughs> Um, um, that uh, I would be working side by side with with people uh, fighting this battle, uh, doing evangelization, uh, uh, relocating refugees, all of that. And it wouldn't be like nine months till nine months later that I'd find out that we didn't even agree on a whole bunch of things, just that Jesus was Lord. And I thought that was awesome. And I think that... uh, our attitude as believers needs to be inclusive in those open-handed things. The Holy Spirit and its manifestations, some people can hold as, as close-handed, and, and I think we need to uh, open, uh, keep our, our hands open as far as the manifestations and things. And, and th- those of us, like Tim said up there, we're students of this as, as well as you are. Um, it's just that this is where the Lord put us in this body. That's all. Um, so be encouraged in your giftings. Um, tell us about them. Use them. So uh, um, I have the phone that you were te- that several of you texted in, and there was a bunch of questions that came in, which obviously we're not going to get to all of them. I do want to read one of them. I'd like just to, are y'all cool? A couple minutes, okay? This side's um, cool. This, you guys good too? You guys can be dismissed. Um, so, like I said, because, first of all, this is, I hope you guys have enjoyed this. I hope this is good to learn. This, I think this is exemplifying learning and community. But to the questions, when I read this question, you're going to be like, oh, man, it wasn't mine that got answered. So um, I'm going off the cuff here. But I think what you should do with those questions is study those. If you have questions about, some of these are very specific about Scripture, go to that Scripture, ask the Spirit to speak to you about it, and then if you have people in your community that you trust and that you know that are maybe better gifted at this area than you, ask them that question. I think this would be great questions to ask over lunch with people, okay? The question I did want to ask that I thought was good, given all the... Oh, first of all, um, there's two questions. The easy one is, can you repeat the text that you drew the list from. So I think you mentioned 1 Corinthians, I think Romans. Repeat those again if you can. Yeah. This would be a good time to write this down. 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10, and 28. Okay. Romans 12, so 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and 1 Corinthians 7. Okay, got those. The second one um, is, given all the lists in the Bible are different, is there really a finite list of gifts of the Holy Spirit? It seems... Like any gift that you use to edify the body of Christ can be a gift of the Holy Spirit. So the reason I thought this was a good question, because I feel like it edifies the body, is in there it's kind of, with all these lists, are there gifts that, if we're using them, aren't they gifts of the Holy Spirit? So, get at it. I think, I think let's go back to the natural talent, spiritual gift. I think that we want to be clear that any natural talent or spiritual gift was given to you by God. 
And so I think in that regard, anything can be used for the building up of the body and the glory of God. But to, but to say, and maybe I misheard this. I can reread that. It sounded like, do we not do we just not really know what the spiritual gifts are? Yeah, basically, if there's, does it matter, basically, if there's a finite list of the gifts of the Holy Spirit? So I think that this is, this is a little bit of my presupposition. I, I think that it does matter because I think that the Holy Spirit saw fit to at least give us the list that we have. And so is it possible that there are some that are not on the list? I, maybe. But for me, the fact that there's multiple lists that there is overlap, I think that it gives us at least a circle in which to think, right? And I think that whenever people start thinking through, was well, there a bunch of other stuff that's really important that God didn't give us to know? My response to that is generally, God in his sovereignty didn't think that we needed to know. And so let's just stay with what he's given us, mostly. Do either of you guys want to add to that at all, or is that pretty good? Okay. Matt doesn't look convinced. He's like, eh. So, yeah, again, there's a bunch of other good questions that came up, so thank you for asking those, but I would encourage you to pray about those, talk about it in community, and cite scripture around those areas. I don't know if one of you guys want to wrap it up. Yeah, and maybe what we can try to do is, please do what Tony said, but maybe if we can get a couple of those answered, we'll just throw them on a piece of paper and put them on the front desk. Okay. Is that cool? Okay. How about if I pray for us? Dan... Why don't you guys come up and we'll do some worship. Call it a morning. Do not have the gift of flexibility. All right, why don't you stand with me? And, And I think hopefully you saw some diversity and some commonality. But most of all, here's what I what I hope that you get from this is is the Holy Spirit is a person that we can know. And let's continue to try to know him. If you have a bunch of questions that have come up, that's a great thing. Um, God gave us his word and his people to try to sort those things and pray and talk through those things. So I would encourage you to do that. And we'll trust that he'll lead us to a good spot. All right. Are you tired now? Yeah, didn't even do anything. You just sat there. All right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your Holy Spirit. I thank you, God, for your grace to us. I thank you for the diversity in the body. And I pray that you'll help us to handle diversity graciously and not tolerantly. To be grateful for the different members and the different perspectives and the different experiences. And I pray, God, that you would grow this body through your Holy Spirit. That you would equip and upbuild her, encourage her. Comfort her, God, through the miraculous, wonderful, gracious work of the Holy Spirit. God, we're completely dependent on you. And we're thankful to be so. So, God, as we are your dependent children, we trust that you will lead us, that you'll speak to us, give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see, give us humility and boldness. Lead us where you want us to go, God, and we're thankful for it. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.